you for tuning in to the Push Through Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Reeves. I am a licensed professional counselor with a private practice here in Atlanta, Georgia, where I specialize in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And on the Push Through Podcast, we're going to talk all things motherhood, womanhood, childhood, and everything in between, and sometimes random things that are on my mind. So please sit back, relax, and let's have a chat. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the Push Through Podcast. I'm really excited about today's show, but before I get into what it's about, let's do a little bit of catching up. So um, last week's episode was really good, in my opinion, (laughs) because I shared my postpartum story and I kind of just wanted to just put it out there, but I had a really overwhelming response to people that listen to it. And I think that was kind of the point was to be able to just share about my experience in order to kind of initiate some conversation, um, whether you're a mother or not a mother, but just as a woman and some of the things that we go through. So I got a lot of texts from friends (laughs) that said that they had no idea. (laughs) And, um, And it wasn't anything that I wanted to share to make anybody feel bad because, like I said repeatedly through last week's episode, it was something that I never really talked about and nothing that I reached out for help for. Um, So that was something that was pretty much on me. But I'll read some of the things that people wrote in. Um, So Chi over in London wrote, listen today, amazing story. I was nodding in agreement and affirming everything you said. You are definitely not alone. Thank you for opening up and sharing a bit of yourself with us. Thank you, Chi. Um, Someone else was Erica. She wrote, just listen. I appreciated your willingness to be vulnerable and raw in sharing your story. Thank you, Erica. And I also had a shout out from Essence, who also wrote, um, she is a mother of five. She's the mom of my little sister. And she um, was saying, if you have any questions, I am open to all questions for this second pregnancy. Um, I have five kids of my own and each one is different and comes with a different experience. And I never want to come off as knowing it all because I don't. But she has a wealth of experience. So I'm super happy that she's a part of my support system. And she's someone that I can ask questions too. And I sure will. Um, but I was really happy with everybody. They gave really positive feedback. Um, even people who were just sharing in the sentiments of that experience. So thank you. And if you haven't listened, just go ahead and press pause right now and go check out last week's episode before you jump into this one. Um, so as I've said before, I am pregnant and I put up a post today talking about how this pregnancy is so significantly different than my first pregnancy. And I feel like I should just wear a shirt that says that because I feel like I say that all the time. But it is. (laughs) And um, as the weeks are counting down, I feel like I'm just kind of laying around more, laying in bed, laying on the sofa, um, doing things like recording a podcast or like typing up a newsletter, emails or 
even doing notes, billing, things like that nature is not that difficult for me, but it's when I have to travel into work, which takes like an hour and a half and then an hour and a half back, um, just the hustle and bustle of that. It's kind of hard. And then just when I exert like a lot of energy, just because um, my baby is sitting really low in my pelvis right now, and it just feels like you're carrying this brick ball around <laughs> and it's hard. And plus, like you get really short of breath, super easy. So um, that's a difficulty. So as I mentioned before, I've been um, having like pregnancy insomnia where I wake up at 3 a.m. every morning, wide eyed, cannot go to sleep. And then I don't get sleep again until like eight o'clock. And by that time, you know, I'm already like halfway through taking Ezra to school and on my way into work or seeing a client at 8 a.m., just various things. So I get like really tired. So the weekends, I'm fortunate where I get to sleep in when my husband is off. So that's super, super helpful. But as I have been uh, waking up at 3 a.m., I mentioned that I've been binging a lot of documentaries. <laughs> um, so this past weekend, I watched Taylor Swift's documentary on Netflix, Miss Americana. And um, it was pretty interesting. It wasn't anything that I didn't already know. Um, I read articles on her where she was talking about how fame came with a lot of consequences as a lot of celebrities have discussed before and um she even talked about her eating disorder I don't know if she necessarily described it as an eating disorder she so I may be saying that so please correct me if I'm wrong but she mainly just said that she like would in the past restrict from eating whenever she would see a picture of herself where she looked overweight or when people would comment on her weight. And she was very adamant about being intentional about not doing that anymore. And I remember when she came out in this most recent album, people were talking about how she had a significant weight gain. And I just think, I don't, I don't think I could ever survive as a celebrity. I think I would prefer to be one of those behind the scenes people like a producer or a writer for a show or something like that, but like in the limelight, like I could never imagine what it's like to be Beyonce. Like it seems like to us, like, oh my gosh, this world seems so amazing, but I would just imagine for them, it would seem incredibly isolating and where you have to constantly be on, you have to like exhaust yourself, create your creativity. And you don't really have many people that you can really like reach out and touch without having them sign like an NDA. And that's why I've always really appreciated Sade um, so much because she'll come out of hiding, put out an album, do some shows, go back into hiding. Like no one knows anything about her. I don't know. I know she lives in London, I think, the last I've heard. Um, I don't know where she lives. I don't know where she grocery shops. She probably does all of this on her own. She probably doesn't have assistants that do it for her. She probably like if she was in a, in like <laughs> the United States, she probably would go to Whole Foods by herself and could like disguise herself because um, she's just not like in the in the papers all the time. And I'm, I've bet that's like a really refreshing feeling to be able to do what you love, but to also be able to have like a pretty normalized life. And I remember in an interview Sade had once where she said she never told her daughter what she did for a living because she wanted her to feel as normal as possible. And I think her daughter had stumbled upon it like randomly one day, like in a magazine or something. And she was like, are you like famous? 
Um, so that was a takeaway that I took from that. And then also I just kind of took it as she was someone who just kind of grew up in the public eye, made a lot of mistakes and was just figuring out as she, as she did, like as she could see fit. Um, definitely not a perfect person as none of us are, but also in having imperfections, being in the public eye while also trying to navigate that. So that was my takeaway. Um, but what I did appreciate about the documentary, um, because I like to hone in on people's personalities as far as like surrounding their craft, not so much as far as them personally. Um, so it was, it was good to be able to see her, how she developed a song, how she could play several instruments, how she could have a tune in her head and then turn it into an actual hit. That I thought was good to watch, um, to see that side of her and that talented side of her versus all the other stuff. Because I, sometimes I think I get, we can get like lost in knowing people for their personalities and that'll distract us from liking their music. Um, but when we're just given the music and that's it, I think that can be a lot more rewarding, if any of that makes sense. <laughs> um, the other thing that I have been doing was um, I watched this show called Shrill, S-H-R-I-L-L. It is on Hulu and it's um, it's like a comedy. It's like, how can I say this? I don't know if anybody ever watched the show Girls on HBO, but imagine if girls was an, were, was an actual realistic show. Because <laughs> I feel like the show Girls on HBO was very fictionalized, like to the extreme, where it was like, okay, so most of this probably could never happen. And the majority of these characters could never probably ever really exist. And it just seemed fake. Whereas Shrill... It's definitely more realistic, has a huge diverse cast, diverse as far as race, as far as um, ethnicities, um, there's just sexualities, just all of its size, just it, it was huge. And they, they touched on topics from period stigma, abortion stigma, sexism, fat shaming, it was really, really good, and I like incredibly enjoyed it. It's based off of a novel of the same name, Shrill, by Lindy West, and um, it was published in 2016, and then it got picked up by Elizabeth Banks to turn into a television show, um, and so they just came out with their second season maybe like two weeks ago, and I'd never heard of it, but it just came up when the second season popped up, so it's a quick binge because it's about six episodes per season and they're just 30 minutes a piece. But the really cool thing about Shrill is you ever seen a show <laughs> that does a really good soundtrack and Shrill is one of those shows, which takes me into what I'm listening to this week. So um, the song that was played on this season finale of season two as the show went off was by Lion Babe and it was featuring this artist called Mo Mox. I think he's Jamaican. I could be wrong but I think he's Jamaican. Um, and the name of the song is Rockets. And Lion Babe, I love Lion Babe. Like 
thinking back to Atlanta, I would definitely go to a show. And um, the lead singer is Vanessa Williams' daughter. And she does look like a lion with a mane with her beautiful, luscious, blonde hair. Um, but take a listen to the song and tell me what you think. I really like it. you like it and also I know I kind of drop songs that I like and I, I think you should have an idea of the type of music that I like at this point things that are chill with a good beat um good lyrics so if you have songs that you would like to recommend or even like playlists on Spotify or anything title please share I am a music lover and I would love to listen to what it is that you're listening to so to get into the show today, um, today I had the pleasure of being able to interview a friend of mine. Her name is Tavares St. Louis, and I had the honor of having Tavares facilitate one of the breakout sessions at our Push Through Mama conference last year in September. The breakout session that she facilitated was called Conscious Parenting. And I asked her if she would do that because she has a specialty in working with parents and other adults in raising children and being able to prevent child abuse. Plus, she was just like the perfect person to do that because um, she just kind of has that spirit about her in her own parenting skills, which you'll hear about in today's episode. But just to give you a background on what is conscious parenting. Conscious parenting is not a set of rules for parents to follow, but a set of beliefs about what children need to develop and thrive. And in addition to that, conscious parents engage and connect with their children using emotionally intelligent discipline choices rather than punitive methods because the brain thrives on connection and empathy. Um, in my research, in learning more about conscious parenting, um, I read how it does take a little bit more effort and time because the parent has to be emotionally regulated because, you know, sometimes our kids can really push us to the edge and on top of whatever stressors we already have going on. And then they do that one thing that we've told them to stop doing like 10 times <laughs> and we may go off a little bit. <laughs> so it takes the parent to be very emotionally regulated, um, being able to talk to a child at their level, connect with them emotionally, being able to have conversations about the why, the what, and really redirect the behavior without reacting on emotion. Um, and we'll get a little bit more into it into today's podcast, but I think 
all parenting styles are definitely worth conversation. And kind of in that episode I had with my mother where I said there is no dress rehearsal to parenting and no one really is a perfect parent. We all mess up. We all do things that just aren't, you know, right sometimes. And we give ourselves some grace. And just as our kids are learning, we're learning too. Um, So I know that a lot of people may not be down for conscious parenting. A lot of people may not be down for spanking. A lot of people may not be down for timeout. Like everybody has their own opinion and all are welcome. I think that the most important thing is about every parent going in with the intention of really rearing their child with the best of their ability, loving them and trying to guide them in this world the best way that they know possible. I think that's like the most important thing. Um, But along the way, we can learn about various types of parenting styles just to be able to have tools to put into our pocket to pull out whenever necessary. Um, So it's not to say one way is better than the other, but it's just to be able to share in several different ways. And this is just one of many that we'll be talking about. And at the end of the podcast, I would love to hear about different methods or techniques that you use in your own parenting style and what you feel like has been really helpful. So stay tuned. Have a listen as um, we listen to Tavares um, tell us about her journey in motherhood, how her labor and delivery story was, and how she began to start her specialty in her own private practice and working with parents in her approach to parenting. Thank you guys for attending another session of our Push Through podcast. And I am super happy that I have Tavares here. Hi, Tavares. Yay. Hi, Keisha. <laughs> have you I, been on a podcast before? I have not. This is your first time? Yes. <laughs> Pop my cherry girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy. So Yay. Tavares and I always just have random conversations. Yes. She is my ge- ge- geographically to me closest friend. So we take <laughs> walks together. Yes. At least, um, what over this was it the summer? Over beginning, this of, beginning of summer, fall? right before fall. Yeah. yeah, we did, and we would just talk about random things. And I've always admired Tavares as a Aww. mother. She's super patient. She's super present Aww. with her daughter, and so I wanted to ask her to be on the show. Plus, she's a clinician. Plus, she has a specialty that's coming, and I just wanted to pick her brain and also share. So. Tell us where you originally from. I am from, well, first, thank you for thinking of me. This is so sweet. I was so excited to get to do this. Um, So I'm from Sandersville, Georgia. And so, as you know, being from Milledgeville, Georgia, it's about 30 minutes south of you. Mm -hmm. Small rural town in Georgia. Um, Think of lots of land, cows, pigs, and majority of people there are either black or white. Small town, everybody knows you, know you by first name, last name type of thing. So I grew up there. I was born in Augusta, Georgia at the hospital, um, but spent my... Is that like the closest, biggest city? closest um either augusta or macon as far as being big so yeah so i was born in augusta and um but grew up in sandersville i went to school all the way through high school graduated there and then moved to atlanta how was it growing up in sandersville um as a child it was safe um i don't um remember 
um, when I look back now, like I was thinking, oh, that was racist as hell. Like what, mm. what was going on? But I didn't see a lot of that. Mm. I didn't know really a lot of that when I was going through it. Um, but it was safe. My childhood was, um, it was loving. And I grew up with my, my mother and my grandmother, my maternal grandmother. And so it was always safe. The house was full of love. But um, just in a, a very small town where there wasn't much to do. So most people, when they were done with school, they, they left for more opportunities, for advancement, for just to see some more stuff because there was nothing there, mm-hmm. you know, other than family. Right. Yeah. And I, I feel your sentiments because it was like that for me in Millishville. Mm. The, I wouldn't necessarily say it was subtle racism. Mm-hmm. But it was, I think in one training I went to, I called it like a unconscious racism. Mm-hmm. Like everybody just knew where to go, how to be, how to act, but nobody ever told you anything. Right. And then I really didn't see it blatantly until I was removed out of mm-hmm. the town. Mm-hmm. And then looked looking in, I was like, oh yeah, that's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as I got older, I remember being maybe 17 or 18, and I was on a cheerleading squad. And um, majority of the squad was white. And so um, myself and um, another good friend of mine, we were invited out to um, this other cheer girl's, like her farm or something. But then I remember her saying, well, you know, don't tell any of your other friends or um, it's just for, you know, you two. And I remember us looking at each other like, what? What was that about? Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, clearly today I knew exactly what it was about. But so things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I like I said, I felt so safe mm-hmm. there. Like there wasn't a lot to worry about as far as crime. Um, the air was clean. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was also a different time. So, you know, we could walk to school. Mm-hmm. We could play outside all day. Um, you know, go to the neighbor's house or go to the kid's house downstairs. and I mean, down the street and be there all the day without having to be worried. Um, being at the park, riding your bicycle around town, um, which just... I don't know if you can do that right. really today. Yeah. yeah. So you grew up with your mom and your grandmother. Yes. How was that? Um, the only thing I've ever known. So. And you were only was child. Good. Yep, I was my mom's only child, and we lived in um, a home that we well we lived first in a smaller town. If you can get smaller than Sandersville, mm-hmm. Tenno, right outside of Sandersville. Yeah. So we lived there for a little bit with my great grandfather. And then um, when I started school, we moved into a house that my mom rented. And so it was me and uh, my grandmother and my mother. And my mom worked as a seamstress um, mm. at a plant called Carter's. Mm. And then my grandmother did childcare in the home. Nice. And so a lot of my friends that I um, that I had, my grandmother started off keeping them. Mm-hmm. Um, their siblings, and if they were older, we went, you know, they, we went to school, so she didn't necessarily keep them. But um, it was um, a house full of love, mm-hmm. I can say, 
that um, I just I never really felt like I went without anything, even though I don't know if I knew it then, but we weren't the you know the richest family. We definitely had struggles. Um, we weren't rich by any means, mm-hmm. um, but there was so much love, and I just had a a very hardworking mother. Mm. Like I just went without nothing, mm-hmm. which I know it's easier when you have one kid. But I just and she never missed a beat in anything. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. Yeah, especially being around two women who worked mm-hmm. and provided, mm-hmm. and that's like what you saw. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that that had like a really great influence. How was your grandmother and your mother's relationship? Good. Mm-hmm. They are. Um, um, they're both of them are so funny. But um, so my grandmother still lives in Sandersville. My mother recently, her and my dad moved to Mc, McDonough. Yeah, mm-hmm. McDonough last year. So, um, but yeah, the, she's down there at least once a month. Um, just to make sure she's got, you know, all of her medication straight, that she's got everything that she needs. Um, my uncle, her son lives there as well too. So he checks in on her. So Mm. she is 79. Um, but she's doing well. Your grandmother? My grandmother, 79. She's doing, she's doing well. I talk to her maybe about once a week. Um, I try to get her to come up here. Um, a little bit more, but I think I'm going to have to start back going down there. Mm-hmm. Just, um, but she's so excited to see me, of course, but that grandbaby of hers is like, you know, bring that baby down here. So, <laughs> um, I think we're going to make some, some trips down there just to see her. Nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then after you graduated from high school, what happened? Mm-hmm. So I graduated from high school and... We went on, uh, let me see, I did my senior trip. We went to Mexico. Nice. <laughs> Interesting stories there. <laughs> you take a whole, and, and so the <laughs> the senior trip, there were kids from all over the U.S. And so oh, there wow. were a whole bunch of 18-year-olds oh, in Mexico. Yeah. It was wild. Nice. It was That's wild. good that they let you go. Yeah. I mean, from a small town. To go to Mexico? Oh, yeah. Because my parents did not. Really? <laughs> and so, and the, you know what? That's one of the things I, I would say. So I had my mom, she was, I guess, a younger mom when it was compared to some of my friends' moms. Mm. So she had me at 17. Um, and she was always considered, the, I guess, the cool mom. Nice. People saw her as the cool mom because maybe she looked young. She wasn't that cool, I thought. But um, Your mom is cool. See? Yeah. She's very fashionable. <laughs> Like she is cool. Yeah. So and, and people just and thought that, and so she was not a very um, like overly strict or overly um, like a helicopter parent or anything mm-hmm. like that. And so she let me, you know, allowed me to do a lot of things, you know, academically, socially. Um, I can't say she ever said no to much, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and so, you know, we went off and we had that great wild Mexican adventure. <laughs> and then I enrolled at Georgia State University. So I was there. Um, I did my undergraduate years there. I stayed on campus for two years. And then um, a good friend of mine um, and I decided we wanted to get our own apartment. Nice. Yeah. Was that culture shock at all? Like leaving a small town and going to Atlanta? Oh, God. Yeah. Because at first I had, um, so I didn't take a car my first year. And so I drove, not I drove, I 
took the took Marta from downtown. So you know where the village used to be. The mm-hmm. those apartments they were designated for Georgia State. They now I think Georgia, Georgia Tech, Tech has them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we used to walk to the train station on North Ave, and we would take the train to Little, not Little, but Five Points. Mm-hmm. And so along the way, there were a whole bunch of homeless people. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, as a small, I guess because it's small, but Sandersville, I don't remember anyone being homeless. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of yeah. poor families. Um, I don't recall right. anyone ever sleeping on the street. And so that one within itself was a big culture shock. Um, I will tell you within my first week I got scammed. Did you? I did. <laughs> I was walking. Um, There's this card game that these group of people were doing. And it was like, tell me where the ball is. And they would have um, a ball on the card and they have a cup on it. And it was like, oh, my God, that's so easy. Mm-hmm. Like, and you know, people were winning in front of me. <clears throat> of course, I had no idea that these people were together. So, uh, <laughs> they're like, you pretty lady, what you got? And I had a 20 in my pocket. And I was like, well, yeah, let me double this. And as soon as I gave him the 20 and I knew where the ball was, um, he picked up the cup and it wasn't there. And then they all walked off together. And I was like, oh, my God, I just got got. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was like my first week here. In Atlanta. It was like, hello, Atlanta. (laughs) (laughs) That was exactly it. That was exactly it. But yeah. So, did your mom ever talk with you about how it was for her having had you at 17? Like, were there any difficulties for her being that she had the support from your grandmother Mm -hmm. that it made it easier? The the support definitely made it easy for her, easier for her. I know um, at one point she left um, to go find better work in Atlanta. So while I was maybe, you know, uh, probably before I was a year mm-hmm. old, she went to look for work in Atlanta. One of our best friends had moved here and um, said, come up and stay with me. You can look for work. And so while she did that, I was with my grandmother. Um, none of that I remember mm-hmm. as a small child, but she told me, you know, that's what she was looking for because there really is nothing there mm-hmm. and still is nothing there unless you're an educator, um, teaching. And we used to have, um, and they still do chalk, what's called a chalk plant where they, they're digging oh, for yeah. kaolin. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So that's what they're known for kaolin mm-hmm. there, um, which is really drying out, I think now. So oh, wow. a lot of people have lost their job. So either you're in education, or you're a tar burton, which means that it's old white money. Um, oh, so the people what that, is the, tar, is that a last is name, tar, oh. one of the tar buttons. Um, so I think, you know, you know, the railroad and mm-hmm. the library and, and that stuff. Um, or you just work in on in jobs and not gotcha. make that much. Yeah. Gotcha. So it's hard to just, I guess grow there um it it seems like it and but there are people that stay there yeah um and i'm i'm sure you know grow in some ways i just didn't think to where i wanted to grow and and what i wanted to do and just outside the people that i wanted to meet Mm -hmm. i could do that there um so if i stayed that means that i would be you know my lim- I would be limited into what I could do. Mm-hmm. So I would have to teach 
or I have to marry a tar button. And mm. I don't think that was, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I don't know right. if that was going to happen. <laughs> right. Um, and I, it just wasn't there. And, and there was no one that I wanted to marry there, mm-hmm. you know. So there was no other option. It was like, okay, as soon as I get this degree, I'm out. Yeah. It's just where where am I going? Gotcha. And Atlanta was the next biggest but also closest, safest place for me to go. I felt like mm-hmm. I didn't have to get on a plane to come here mm-hmm. um, if I needed my mom or uh, any family, you know, they could be there within two and a half hours. So it was far enough where she had to pick up a phone before she came, but she could definitely be there if I needed her. So. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's good. Yeah. And then you went to school for psychology. Mm-hmm. And then did you go to grad school right after? No, I did not. Uh, so I went to undergrad for psychology concentration in pre-med because I just knew I was going to Mm. medical school and then the shit got hard and I was like okay I don't know if I want to do this let me just take some time off um from school Mm -hmm. um because I feel like I've been going forever so I did I and I for some reason really wanted to work Hmm. like I guess I wanted to make money and and be grown Mm -hmm. so I started at a I do. No, I take that back. So I worked throughout college part time, but so I guess I wanted a full time job. Mm-hmm. I worked part time at um, ESPN Zone, mm. um, which was really fun for the mm-hmm. most of the time. And then once I graduated, I worked for this company called FAMS um, Financial Asset Management System. It was a collection company, basically. Oh, okay. And I worked on the side of the income contingent repayment plan. Mm -hmm. So helping people who went into default be able to pull those out of default with making very small um, minimal payments, which I thought was like, I didn't know about that um, until I got into that work. But I thought it was, you know, a good thing. So Mm -hmm. people could pay like like $25 a month to get it out of default. Um, and then work on plans from there. So mm-hmm. that was my first full-time job, um, I will say. Although my very first job, I will say, I got while I was in Sandersville in high school. I worked at the Domino's there. They had opened up a Domino's. It was, oh, this is a big thing, right? We got Domino's now. <laughs> um, but I didn't work there much as I like I don't know if pizza making is for me. <laughs> and then my, my dad, my stepdad, because my mom remarried, um, while I was in high school, was like, I'm still, I'm having to give you money still. (laughs) What's the point? point? And Mm -hmm. I was like, you're right, I don't know. Um, But that was my first experience with actually working at Domino's. Um, But yeah, so wanting to get out and work after Mm -hmm. graduating, um, wanting to be quote unquote grown, but still knowing that, um, okay, this psychology degree is not going to get me where I thought I wanted to be. Um, they don't they don't tell you that they for some reason. And mm-hmm. so I started shadowing a physician um, because I'm still thinking, well, maybe I want to go to medical school. I can still do this. You know, I don't have to be in school now. I can make sure I have all the required courses and then take the MCAT. And then I just ultimately decided that's not what I wanted to do mm-hmm. um, and started working for a company called... Oh gosh. Auto Trader. Oh, autotrader.com. Yeah. And Which so, is a big company. Mhm. It was a big company and I was there um started out in customer service and then I moved up to a quality analyst and Were they housed in Dunwoody? 
Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I used to live in Sandy Springs, so I mm. lived um, not Also, Tavares and I have oddly parallel lives. We do. <laughs> it's very, it's very, very strange. strange. <laughs> yes. Because her parents ended mm-hmm. up in Milledgeville, yep. which is where I'm from. Yep. We drive the same brand car. Yep. And both of our mothers have had their bouts of cancer. Yep. And I lived in Sandy Springs. You lived in Sandy yes. Springs. <laughs> yes. I was going to do pre-med. You were going to yep. do pre-med. And um, we're both therapists. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I told you, I was like, I'm not sure how we didn't meet I know. earlier. I know. Um, and Just it was, random. I know, it was through my good friend Jasmine, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which I was, you know, looking at exploring other ways um, to develop my you know, um, therapy skills and and counseling. And she said, I've got somebody I think you should meet. And she was like, let me take you to an event. And it was your event. (laughs) Shout out to Jasmine. I know. She gifted me. (laughs) She She did. (laughs) Oh, man. So I guess like being that you were raised in a small town, Mm -hmm. um, started out having a single mom and your grandmother. Mm -hmm. What do you think your mother influenced or imprinted or put into you for you to want to go off to a big city to go to school, Mm -hmm. did well in school, Mm -hmm. wanted to be a doctor, Mm -hmm. worked hard, like Mm -hmm. you didn't really have, you didn't go back, Mm -hmm. you know, you didn't have any necessarily like any setbacks, but you were a pretty well-rounded, educated, Mm -hmm. hardworking black girl. Mm -hmm. How or what do you think she did that instilled that in you? She she always encouraged me. Anything I brought to her, um, like I said, she never really turned down me wanting to do anything academically, socially. Just she always encouraged me, and she made me feel like I I could do anything. Mm-hmm. And even at a, a young age, she made me always feel like I was like one of the smartest people ever. Um, and she still does that now. But um, there was just really no limits. In the, in the house. And that when I look back, there were some things that I wish that we could have done. And I think it was just maybe her not knowing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's hard to do stuff when you don't know of the stuff. But had she known it and like had she had some of the information available now about um, education and scholarships and things like that, mm-hmm. I, I know she would have been right. on top of that Um because that's just who she was. It was like, all right, you want to do this? Let's let's do it. What it, what is it gonna take? And she was um, an amazing problem solver. Mm-hmm. Like I saw her, be able to just work through all types of stuff. Um, and which I I credit her, you know, for me being able to do that. I am probably one of the best problem solvers. Mm-hmm. I I know, and I. I just, I'm able to work shit out well, you know, within myself, you know, yeah, I just, it, I just do. um, That's a great skill to have. Yeah. And, you know, I had one of my directors tell me that she was like, how do you stay so calm down there in the ER? And I was like, I don't know. I just, she was like, you, you have an amazing skill of being calm in situations that are not calm. And she was like, I don't know if you know that as a strength. She's like, I hope you carry that with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just something that I, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I got that from her. Nice. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. So then fast forward, 
when you had your daughter, mm. was this planned? Not prevented? Not planned? We had, I had come off of birth control mm-hmm. um, because we were open to the idea of expanding our mm. family. Okay. Uh, and we were just going to let it happen. I am a Pisces, so by nature, I'm not really of a planner. Mm. I like to plan, um, but that is not how it works out. And I'm okay <laughs> with that, right? That's good. So um, mm. I had been talking to my gyno about having a baby. And we, so we would talk about it every every time I come in. Mm-hmm. All right, when is it going to happen? When are you going to do it? And so that year, which would have been... 2014 when I went in I said well how do I even know I can get pregnant and she said oh oh," you know went down the history of things and she's like have you ever had you know abortion or anything like that just like checking off all of these things and I was like no and she's like well you sound pretty healthy Mm -hmm. you've never had any issues with you know really anything Mm -hmm. just start tracking your ovulation and so I, at the time, had a girlfriend who was also trying to get pregnant. And she was like, oh, I've got these ovulation sticks. Mm. Use these. Yeah. And then plus, here's this tea. It's called fertility. She was mm. like, you know, just drink that. It will, um, it does actually does a lot of things. But it sort of, it throws off your cycle a little bit. Um, it's supposed to help with increasing chances of fertility. It's got all of these, and it's just herbal. Mm-hmm. It's red raspberry tea, which is good for cramps. Um, so I still take it now. Um, but just a whole host of things. So I was drinking that and calling myself, tracking my ovulation. And so I had missed my period in September. And I was like, oh, well, it's probably the tea, mm-hmm. which it, it can throw your cycle off. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I, you know, just missed my cycle. And then in October, when I missed, I was, and for some reason, it just didn't dawn on me mm-hmm. that that could be it, because I'd never been pregnant before. Mm-hmm. And so I still didn't really, like, I wasn't panicked or anything. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the dentist, and he says, your gums are bleeding more than usual. Huh. Are you pregnant? And I said, no. <laughs> Why would you ask me that? <laughs> and he said, well, I've had two other patients that I've noticed changes in their gums. Wow. And I asked them about them being pregnant. They, too, said no. And then it turned out that they were. And he wow. said, you know, I'm just looking at some changes. And I said, Dr. Johnson, you know I don't floss my teeth like I should. <laughs> and I said, it's probably that. Wow. And he said, okay. Well, he's like, you just may want to check. And then... Um, immediately went home and peed on a stick <laughs> and it was positive wow um and i was like oh okay wait and i had just gone to the doctor the week before mm-hmm. taking a test and it was negative and so i assumed that maybe it was just too early to be able to tell so i called the doctor and she said okay well we're gonna do a blood test just to be sure um and so they did the blood test this was now in november did the blood test, and um, it was on a Monday. And she said, well, the doctor gave you a call. This is the week of Thanksgiving. And the doctor called me on Thanksgiving Day and said, "Um, your levels are very high. And she said, congratulations, you are pregnant. (laughs) And I remember thinking, oh, wow. And I remember, like, I went to be in a room so I could talk privately. Mm -hmm. And, like, my mom trying to follow me, and I was like, give me a moment, Mom. (laughs) I I need to take a phone call. 
Um, and she told me that. And so I kept it under wraps. And then um, I told my husband when we got in the car and he was just very quiet. Um, and I just know he was processing this, mm-hmm. you know, this big news. And it was like big for both of us. And we held hands like the mm-hmm. entire way. Um, but yeah. That was it. So it was like it, it happened. We were open to it. Yeah. Just didn't know it was going to. In my head, it was going to happen the next year. Uh-huh. Right? I didn't know because I never, like, tried right. to have a baby. I didn't know when it was going to happen. I was like, okay, maybe sometime next year. And no, it, it happened much wow. faster. So then how, how was pregnancy and then after you had your daughter? How was that? Pregnancy was good. It was uneventful. The only thing I had was... Well, um, obviously you didn't have any symptoms. Um, well, so... <laughs> so I had I had headaches. Okay. And I had cramps, which I thought were... In the beginning, I thought, oh, I'm about to get my period. Because uh, I've been late. Like, yeah. And I was like, no, you've been pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was an uneventful. It was... It was a good time. Like, I had um, a really good pregnancy. I had carpal tunnel. Um, That was probably the... That and heartburn. Um, And I couldn't stop drinking orange juice. It was, like, my favorite thing Mm -hmm. to drink, um, which also was not good for the heartburn. Mm -hmm. It was, like, would you lay lay off of the the, the OJ a little bit? But I couldn't. Um, But it was good um, until... So the only thing I guess that happened, so I had um, an accident. Somebody hit me from behind at eight months, um, which I wasn't, I don't think I was like physically banged up or anything. I just went, you know, and had, um, they hooked me up to the monitors to check me out. And they sent me home because nothing appeared to be wrong. Mm -hmm. Soon after that, I lost what was called your plug. Oh, right, right. Your mucus plug. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I'm reading all of these things, and I'm like, what's what's happening? This isn't supposed to be happening until closer to date in my head. Mm -hmm. And so I called my uh, doctor, and my nurse was like, oh, I wouldn't worry about it. Are you spotting? Are you doing anything like that? And I was like, no, I just lost this big thing, like... (laughs) She didn't really think it was a big like big deal. And I said, okay. And she was like, no, I think you'll be fine. And continue to come in for your, you know, your checkups. And I would say maybe about two weeks after I lost that plug, I went into labor. Wow. And so it was early labor. I was eight. I was 33, 33 weeks and three days mm. maybe. Um, we were out on a date night. And we went to, um, oh, God, now that I want to remember it, I can't think of the name of the restaurant. It's off of Glenwood mm-hmm. um, where there's a new Kroger and mm. never mind. Okay. <laughs> so we were there and um, I remember we were going to go home and we were going to watch Power because Power was on <laughs> in the summer, right? And so we had watched Power and, and gone to bed and I woke up for a routine pee mm-hmm. about 2 in the morning and then I couldn't stop peeing. Oh. And so, like, when I stood up, I was still going. And I said, this isn't normal. Your water broke. Yeah. And so I <laughs> walk in the bedroom and I said, hey, babe. I said, I can't stop peeing. Something is still dripping. I think my water might be broken. I'm going to call the hospital and um, see what's going on. And so he, like, jumps into action. And I was like, wait, hold on. Let's calm down. Let's call the nurse. And so she does a quick, you know, um 
question questionnaire over the phone. She's like, okay, I think your water is broken. Come on in. We're going to check you out. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had no contractions at this At this point, point none. Okay. And so I'm thinking, still, first-time mom, I don't know what's going on. I think they're going to patch me up somehow <laughs> and send me home because, again, <laughs> I'm not due until July 27th. This is June 13th, mm. maybe, mm-hmm. June 14th, something like that. And, and you're um, not yeah, because I have no, I don't, am I, I have no reason to be right. like, what? They're going to send me home. Mm-hmm. And so he's panicking. He's jumping up. Um, and I said, well, calm down. Let's go both take showers. Um, and then we'll get dressed and then we'll go out there and see what's going on. Like what's happening? Because mm-hmm. clearly they're just going to send me home. And so once I got in the shower, I started having what felt like, you know, period pain, then like cramps. So some cramping and I was like, oh, that's new. Okay, haven't felt that before. And didn't pack a bag or anything mm-hmm. because, again, they're going to send me home. And so once I got in the car, I started having stronger contractions. And at that point, I put um, on there like a little app to time the contractions. Mm-hmm. And then they started getting closer to one another. And I was thinking, this feels like the real thing. I'm not sure what's going to happen. By the time I got to the hospital, I was in a lot of pain. And um, they couldn't give me um, anything for pain until they viewed the baby to mm-hmm. see what was going on, her activity and all of that. And so I was going from the toilet to the floor, vomiting mm-hmm. and, and all sorts of pain. It was probably some of the most intense pain I have ever felt in my oh, life. Gosh. Um and I just remember, like, my husband's like, well, do I call your mom now? Should I call your mom? And I kept thinking, no, like, I don't, like, we're not, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, yeah. just hold off and um, not listening to me. He went ahead and called. Mm-hmm. So he called my mom. He called his mom. And um, once we got, my doctor got in there, which we didn't know if she was going to be on call. She Mm -hmm. kept telling me, I may not be the doctor that's delivering. You need to go see the other doctor, too. And I was refusing to see the other doctor. And I said, that's not who I have a relationship, Dr. Mm -hmm. Carmichael. I'm going to stay. with." She was like, well, what happens if you get in the delivering room and I'm not there? And I was like, we'll just just have to wait and see if that happens. (laughs) It did not happen. Um... But she was like, yeah, we're having a baby tonight. Wow. And I was like, oh, well, okay. And so I had no bag there, no nothing. I, I had maybe like three weeks before I took my Lamaze class. Um, I hadn't gotten to do any of the like nesting mm-hmm. stuff that they talk about. And I was like, okay, uh, we're going to have a baby. I hadn't decided whether I was going to have an epidural or not. I was going to go with the flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time the flow hit, I was like, yeah, go ahead and call it in here. <laughs> yeah, I need something. Give me, meds. Mm-hmm, give me the meds. Um, which I don't know if they just didn't take because the amount of pain that I felt um, when delivering. Mm. just um, they So they came back in to re-up because I was still feeling too much. Like I could feel... Where they had put the catheter in, I could mm. still feel there was too much feeling yeah. everywhere. So they tried to give me, a, I guess, a second dose. Um, and I will say that I pushed for three hours, which I didn't know was a long yeah. time. So when my doctor started That's mentioning, exhausting. yeah, 
Mm. Yeah. So when she started mentioning um, having a cesarean, I remember getting very upset. And I said, I've only been pushing three hours. What do you mean? And she said, you've been pushing three hours. <laughs> um, and so um, by the assistance of a vacuum, mm. um, baby was delivered. Um, but just the delivering piece has to date the the ring of fire is what they call it. Mm-hmm. It's so very accurate. Mm. Um, I just my whole vagina was on fire. Really, and I felt every bit of her coming out. Really, yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. Every single bit of it. And so I remember, like you know how you see on TV when they place baby on your, mm-hmm. you know, on your, on your chest and you get this whole moment. And I didn't have any of that because I, I was still, I was crying mm-hmm. so hard from the pain. Mm-hmm. I missed that. Like they put it there. Um, and I don't know what I did because I was crying so hard. Mm. Yeah. And wow. so very easy pregnancy, very difficult birth. Right, yeah. right. And unexpected. Unexpected. Like not planned. Not planned. Fast? No. <laughs> no. Not fast, but like fast in the sense of we're going to go from this to this to this to this. Oh, yeah. This like from not knowing that I'm going to have a baby to yeah. we're having a baby. Yeah. Yeah. So all of that within, you know, that, that moment of that night. Um, and was she considered premature? So she was six weeks early. They considered her premature, but she was a she was a good weight. She was five pounds oh, six ounces, yeah. or five two. By the time she left, she only stayed a week. Um, That's good. Yeah, which is still a very hard week for us. Mm. Um, but she was five six when she left the hospital, and I tried to stay as long as possible. So you know they want to put you out after two days usually. Mm-hmm. And so I worked at the hospital, the same hospital that I delivered. And so I spoke with um, one of the charge nurses and I just said, just put me in a room upstairs. I don't need anybody to come in here and check on me. I don't need nurse assistance. I just want to be here with Mm -hmm. her without having to drive back. I didn't want to leave her there. Mm -hmm. So they let me stay an additional day doing that. And then um, the rest of the time we drove back and forth. Mm -hmm. We could be there. Probably about a total of maybe like eight to ten hours, like split up. Okay. So being able to feed her yeah. um, and just hold her and be there. And I, with so much, I think, of the medication, my legs were so swollen. Mm. It was difficult for me to walk. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up getting these two things. I, I don't know what they're called. I just call them leg massagers where you... Um, like Velcro them around yeah, your leg and then massage yeah. your legs. So I, I, I was able to get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was able to get that from my doctor. But it was a, a very difficult process, that whole, and I just never ex- expected it to be that. Because right. I had been looking at all of these peaceful deliveries. <laughs> and so this is what I'm manifesting, right? right? And I'm going to go in there. So we're going to be done in two hours <laughs> if it happens. And, and you go know, home. And go home to and to the nursery, <laughs> which wasn't done. <laughs> So, but my mom and mother-in-law, both were, they were awesome. They were there. They, my mom had stopped by and gotten preemie stuff because I didn't have anything preemie. Oh. Um, and so she had gotten some smaller clothes and then she went to the house and then she straightened up for us and just, you know, made it um, okay, you know, for us to get home and not have to worry about doing some of the things. So nice. that was nice. Yeah. So how was it in those early months after you'd gone home? 
do you feel like the adjustment period was good since you had like some really good support? It was. I did the exact thing. What people say that was so hard to do. You know how they tell you whenever baby sleeps, sleeps. Mm -hmm. And I always heard people say, I can't do that. I was an expert at doing That's that. That's good, so Tavares. Every time good for you. she was sleeping, <laughs> I slept. Um, that's good. And that's literally that's all good. I was feeding, um, breastfeeding, and sleeping with her. And so, so you actually did what everyone is supposed to do. Yeah. Is forget everything else going on in the house. Uh-huh. It's just me and the baby, and that's, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. I did that. Um, and then I had just have an amazing network of support. Like people were bringing us food. Mm. Um, you know, my mom was there as much as she could be. I had an aunt fly down for a little bit. Nice. Um, it was good. And I, and I did that. And, you know, I, I, and I know it's different from everybody. And I was like, I'm, but I'm tired. Mm -hmm. And so I want to rest. And I, you know, my legs are still swollen and I, this house stuff it's, it's got to wait mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. and my husband was amazing um you know because he's adjusting too and so he's like you know I'm gonna I'll do this other stuff um and where he you know when he wasn't tired he was able to do that too because he's still working and coming home and you know here's baby and you hold baby for a little mm -hmm. bit and you know we're learning to do all this stuff because like now we got a person where we get a person from who <laughs> no, gave right. us a person right right um but then also <laughs> the other side of it which was just still so amazing you know um someone you love i get to make another person that i love mm -hmm. with right just that whole piece that mm -hmm. we make a person mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. you know and we 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 still revel in that and we did and um, just watching him with her too, you know, mm -hmm. was amazing. Um, and then me trying not to be, and I'm still like the, um, the controlling one. Cause I, I felt some type of like, this is my baby mm. type right, of way. Right. right? Yeah. And making, mm -hmm. making sure I made room for him, mm -hmm. um, because this is his baby too. So That's awesome. it's been an interesting journey. Yes. So where, because I've seen you in action as a parent, and when I said at the beginning of the podcast that you're very present, very patient, where do you think you got that philosophy? Because with your daughter, you talk to her on her level, you are always just very like there with her. Mm. How did you develop that? Um, I think through um, a couple of ways, just remembering um, how much, I think one of the things I also got from my mom is just this immense, just loving, so just through love, the, me loving her. Um, and then um, it was through my husband and I, we had been talking about um, I guess parenting in general, but like how we want to discipline or how we want to raise and rear a child. And um, at first we were, you know, talking about discipline as in form of like spankings and things like that and felt like we like were both on board with it, but just something, it wasn't sitting right 
in my heart. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know if this is right because I got spankings growing up. Mm-hmm. And even though my mom will tell you, you may have gotten two or three spankings. It's spankings that I remember, though, right? right? right. Um, they definitely left uh, uh, impression on me. And so... It never sat well with me, and I was like, I don't feel right about this. I don't feel right, and I don't want to do anything I don't feel right about. Mm -hmm. And so I was sitting in the car um, outside of Macy's one day, and I was listening to the Urban View um, radio station, Sirius XM, Mm -hmm. Karen Hunter, and she had on her show... Uh, Dr. Stacy Patton, and she uh, she's this brilliant uh, author and professor up in New Jersey, and she was just talking about how spanking children does not fix discipline issues. She was like, this is not going to fix black America. Um, and then she did what I needed to hear. She started like like quoting like the research behind it and Mm. so she talked about you know children who have been physically abused how their levels of cortisone um, is increased Mm. and she talked about the levels of cortisone being increased what that does to the body and then those with the levels of increased cortisone who produce early we're talking about breasts and hips then those children are more likely to be sexually abused and just the, just the different aspects and the different layers um and then it's like as she said it in a way of disciplining your child in this way creates an emotion which also inadvertently affects them physically yes yes um and then she went into just where physical discipline came from um and the history behind that and it was just daunting to me that I would that I would be continuing this knowing where it came from mm-hmm. and it just made me want to do some reading of like well what's different because if this doesn't sit right with me and now I've got some information um, the reasons why it doesn't sit right with me and now I can go back and I can have a conversation with my husband then what do we do um, and so what we're doing is what's I think oftentimes is more work than actual like physical discipline mm-hmm. um more conversations it's more conversations um it's more talking it's understanding where she is development developmentally understanding even though I think she's this bright amazing little girl that at four she's still going to do some things that are just for, and then that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then understanding that I don't, and we don't teach her to be better by hurting her mm-hmm. in any way. Mm-hmm. And so, like, looking at all of that, um, it just made sense to me. Like, there's got to be a better way mm-hmm. to do it. Nice. Yeah. So I guess that kind of segues us into um, your private practice. And what you want to specialize in. So tell us a little bit about who's the population that you really enjoy working with. What do you want to do? Yeah. So um, last year I did start a private practice. um, It's called The Well House. Mm -hmm. And with so much of your help, um, I will say you've been very instrumental in this entire process. And even before it, it began, 
I just remember you saying, you can do this. Yeah. There's so much space for you. <laughs> You're needed. You can do you this. Are. Right. Um, <laughs> and it's been true. It's been very true. So thank you for that. Um, so right now, I, I work primarily with adults um, and couples um, dealing with anything from depression and anxiety to I see a lot of people that have stress, work-related stress, family stress. Um, but my passion and my primary goal is to um, work within primary prevention for child abuse and neglect. Um, I am working with some advisory boards right now, Georgia Parental um, Action Committee um, through DFACS, and then Prevent Child Abuse America as well. Um, so to come up with some new policies and programs and teaching families before there is a referral for DFACS. Mm -hmm. How do you handle family stress? How do you um, work with mm -hmm. kids who may be, you know, in that stage or the, the tantrums mm -hmm. and, you know, the the twos and, you know, what are some things you can do to strengthen your family? Um, how do you remember yourself as an individual also because you're now a parent, but you still need time for yourself and your spouse mm -hmm. and that life you had before? Um, so teaching families and other practitioners on how to get that out and being able to save some children mm -hmm. and, and some lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. So before we wrap up, mm -hmm. what tip would you give a parent who may have multiple children mm -hmm. under stress, financial stressors, maybe unstable housing, mm -hmm. not much support and a lot of times, naturally, without us wanting to, mm -hmm. that stress can be taken out on our child. Mm -hmm. Just because they're the closest one that's there. Not to say that it's right, yeah. but just because we're irritable, yeah. we're doing the best that we can, and children are children, and can break something, yeah. jump off something, you know, just really work the nerve. Yeah. What tip would you suggest for them in order to prevent them from being not purposely abusive, mm -hmm. but maybe saying some things that they regret, mm -hmm. um, maybe disciplining in a harsher way that they mm -hmm. intend to, mm -hmm. what would you suggest for them? Well, you gave so many levels. <laughs> yeah. So that's a lot, you, a right? Lot. And so, um, but that is so real, and that's mm -hmm. what a lot of people are dealing with right now. Um, I would say, for one, the support, if you have it, um, asking for help, um, and asking for help at different levels. So within your community, within your family, um, you mentioned having financial troubles, having housing stressors. So, so those things are so impactful that, you know, a, a child breaking a dish could, could set you off. Mm -hmm. So asking and seeking for those resources and support um, is going to be um, very important. Um, and doing so and, and looking at it on, on those levels. And so when just looking at, you know, like the daily stress within the household, um, I think it's important to remember that children are children. Mm -hmm. And so at, you know, at two, year, two years old, there are some things that they won't get and that although we want them to be able to understand and not do the certain things we say don't do over and over again, developmentally that's where they are and mm -hmm. that they may do so giving them grace mm -hmm. and being patient with them um and then also i i think 
it's important that we remember that any trauma and any um and in things that we are currently going through that we still seek for healing for ourselves mm-hmm. because coming becoming a parent doesn't naturally erase all of those things. And so while I would like to think that the idea of me having a daughter was going to get rid of all that stuff, right. um, it didn't. It may have made me aware of it, but I still have to do that work. Mm-hmm. So still being able to make sure that I do my work mm-hmm. on me so I can be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I can show up for them, but I got to show up for me first, right? right. So doing that work. Um, and then just asking for help, you know, not being afraid to ask for help. Um, and then being patient with yourself, too, and kind to yourself. So knowing that if you didn't have the best day or if you may have yelled, <clears throat> that's okay. Mm-hmm. Because you've got tomorrow to do something else. Right. Um, and if you did discipline in a way that you didn't want to or you, you don't want to do that again. Knowing that and saying that to yourself, well, I don't have to do that, you know, I can do other, you know, being gracious to yourself mm-hmm. and, and forgiving to yourself. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. good. So how can listeners mm-hmm. who may need your help yes. get in touch with you? Oh, awesome. So I can be reached um, a couple of ways. Um, one via email at thewellhousetherapy1 at gmail.com. I'm also on Psychology Today. You can look me up by my name. It's Tavares St. Louis. St. Louis is spelled out S-A-I-N-T hyphen L-O-U-I-S. And I would think that that's probably the primary ways. Okay. Yeah. And I'll put those in the show notes. Thank you. So thank you so much for joining Tavares. This was very helpful. Awesome. These are great tips. (laughs) And I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Push Through Podcast. Rate, review, share, and subscribe. Also, for any questions, comments, or concerns, email us at Keisha at KeishaReads.com and follow along on Instagram and join the conversation at Push Through Mom. Until next time, keep pushing. Shift to